All right, as you guys are finding your way back to your seats, youth, if you guys want to go ahead and be dismissed into the gymnasium, Mason's already, looks like he's already taken a crowd over there, so uh, you guys come on in, and before we dive into the message, let me just pray, and then we'll get started. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord. I just thank you uh, to see so many people coming back from summer vacation, so many new faces. Lord, we pray as we move into a time of worship through the study of your word that you would speak to us through your word and that you would allow our lives to be changed because of what your word has to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, let me just say, I know some of you have been visiting the last few weeks, and you're like, who's this new guy? Every time I come, there's a new preacher. Uh, I am the lead pastor. My name is Charlie Turner, and uh, two weeks ago, we were on elder retreat, and uh, Stephen did a great job filling in for me, and then last week, one of our elders, Bill Gravel, filled in while I was on vacation. So uh, let me just say, uh, even though I do this week in and week out, I I miss it when I don't get a chance to do it, you know, and uh, our family went on a little road trip, and... Uh, you know, when I don't get the chance to preach, they're the ones who have to hear me. So they're tired of me preaching to them, and so I'm glad to be here with people that actually want to hear what I've got to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a great time for me this summer, and I, I'm just excited about what God has to say to us this morning. So we're going to jump right into the text. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to start by looking at verses 10 and 11, and we're going to see some things from this passage. Now, what you need to know about the person who's writing this, this is written by Solomon. Solomon is one of the wisest men, to, the wisest man to ever live with the exception of Jesus, uh, and, and he was also probably the richest man to ever walk the face of this earth. I mean, bigger than Donald Trump, Bill Gates, you know, bigger than those guys. Uh, and here's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. He says, All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for my struggles. When I consider all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, to be useless, to be meaningless in the pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And then if you jump down to verse 17, he says this. He says, therefore, I hated life. How many of you here this morning, uh, maybe on the outside you, you, you say, everybody says, how are you doing this morning? Like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. Maybe just tired, but um, I'm good, you know, and, and on the outside everything seems fine, but on the inside you're feeling like, man, I just, I just don't know. I, I, just, I just don't know. And Solomon says, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing for me. Everything is futile in the pursuit of wind. Uh, he says, I, I, hated, I hated life. I hated life. Now, let me ask you, we're coming up on the, on the end of summer. Um, how many of you guys ever have, uh, have something in your life that maybe you've built up? Like you've, you've got this thing in your mind when you were a kid, you had a, a Christmas toy that you wanted, you built it up in your life, and you thought, as soon as I get this, man, this is going to be the greatest thing. How many of you have that thing or that vacation? Like, if I could just go to Hawaii, and then I'd come back and I'd be satisfied. But how many of you, once you got that thing, it did not satisfy you? It didn't satisfy you, or you were disappointed It just didn't turn out the way you expected. Uh, When I was a kid, my brother, he's two years older than I am, but I remember that Christmas, all he wanted was a red RC remote control car, 
right? And he kept asking my parents. He was seven. I was five. He kept asking my parents for this red remote control car. And you know that feeling as a parent when you're going to get your kids something that they really, really want, you know, and they ask for something that's within reason, not like a pony. Uh, but you, you finally get to get them that one thing that they want. And, and so my parents were really excited. Uh, they got him the, the red remote control RC car. And very first thing he does, batteries are all charged up, ready to go on Christmas morning. Um, very first thing he does is, I mean, look at, these, look at these shocks. Look at these springs on here. I mean, this thing was meant to jump, right? Uh, he puts it on the kitchen table, drives it right off the kitchen table, nose dives, brakes, that's it. That's the end of the RC car. Uh, didn't quite turn out like he expected. And, and I can, as a parent, I can relate to probably how my parents felt because this last Christmas, my kids, uh, they just turned five. They started kindergarten this past Wednesday. I've uh, been really excited. Thank you for those that were praying for them and for us as we, as we let them go as the triplets start school. But this past Christmas, they're like, we want a pedal bike. All of our friends have a pedal bike. We want a pedal bike. So we got them pedal bikes. We had them in the, in the garage, and it was the last thing that they were going to get to open. So I'm, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. There's going to be a big reveal. They're going to go out to the garage. That garage door is going to come up, and they're going to flip out. So we go out. We open the garage door. We tell the kids they, they got these bike helmets. Um, they got these uh, little lights that go on their tires. And they're like, what are all these gifts for? I was like, oh, wait, there's one more gift. There's one more gift. And I am I'm like, do you, am I the only one that gets this way? Like, I am excited. I'm like, I can't wait to see him, like, you know, freak out. and like, ah! But we open the garage door, and they're like, oh. They just stood there. And I was like, well, who's ready to ride their bike? No, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to ride my bike. And it, they still, like, have not learned to ride their pedal bikes because they're scared. And, and I'm just, I feel let down. I feel let down. I, it, it didn't turn out the way I expected. And I think most of us can relate to what Solomon is saying here. He, this is the richest man to ever walk the face of this earth. And he says, look, I've tried it all. I have not denied myself anything that I see. And I just find myself hating life. He says, I tried the jobs, I tried the vacations, I tried the possessions. How many of you would say you've tried those things and been let down? It's okay, you can raise your hands, we can be honest, it's, it's church, right? We've all tried those things and been let down. And, and I think there's some things that Solomon's going to show us in chapter 1 um, that he says, look, I, I've, I've just never been satisfied. It, it comes to nothing. It's all meaningless, it's chasing after the wind. And he says, he says, so I hated life. So I hated life. And you may be here this morning again, and on the outside, you look good. You're smiling. But on the inside, you're, you're dying because you look around and you say, I, I, just, I just hate life. I, I just don't get it. And maybe it's not that extreme for you. You're not, you know, severely depressed. Maybe you are. Um, but for you, maybe it's just kind of this unsettled, like there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more to life. Let's look at some of the characteristics of, of someone who hates life. Um, someone, and you guys may be able to relate to this, and, and you may be in the same mindset as Solomon. The first thing that I see in chapter 1, Solomon's going to tell us that he's frustrated. He's frustrated. How many of you, you find yourself frustrated? You come home from work and you just say, and I'm frustrated. And, and a lot of times you don't understand how, how that works, but it may come out in the form of anger. Anybody can relate to that? You come home, you're just angry. You're like, I don't know why I'm angry. And then you sit and you think about it, and it's because, well, I'm just, I'm frustrated. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 2. He says, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility, meaningless, vanity, worthless. Everything is futile. What does man gain for his efforts that he labors under the sun? As a generation goes and a generation comes, 
but the earth remains forever. He says, look, I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated here. And he goes on, and he's going to tell us the next thing. Uh, He says, I'm tired. I'm tired. How many of you say that? I'm tired. How are you doing this morning? Tired. You know, the number one answer is no longer Business Week did a study, and it used to be when you ask someone, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. But they did did a study this past year, and they said the number one answer now is I'm tired. I'm tired. How are you doing? I'm busy, tired, tired, I'm tired. And they've labeled us the, the generation of fatigue, the decade of fatigue, because we're all tired. How many of you find yourself saying, I'm tired, I'm tired? And this is what he says. Look at starting in verse 5. He says, the sun rises, the sun sets, panting. It returns to its place where it rises, gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, to the, uh, turning, turning goes the wind. All the wind returns to its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place, and they flow there again. Some translations say, look, they flow to the sea, uh, the rivers flow into the sea, then they're taken up into the air, and then they just return right back to where they came. It's just this cycle. It's just this endless, boring, lifeless cycle that, that tires us. It wearies us. In the verse, first part of verse 8, he says, all things are wearisome. I'm just tired. Solomon looks around and he says, I'm just tired. Let me, let me put that in 2016 terms. Monday, go to work. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Cut the grass Saturday. Go to church Sunday. Go to work. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Cut the grass Saturday. Go to church Sunday. Go to work Monday. You, you feel that cycle over and over and over again. And before you know it, you just say, man, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. There's got to be something more. The next set of verses, he's going to tell us, I'm unfulfilled. I'm unfulfilled. Look at the rest of verse 8. He says, All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. Uh, The eye is not satisfied by seeing. The ear not filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. He says, Look, all these things that I thought would fulfill me, they just aren't fulfilling me. They just don't satisfy. And, and maybe you're looking at this list and you can relate to one or two or maybe all three of these things on this list. And you'd say, man, I have said every single one of those things in the last week. And, and you're thinking about life and you're thinking there's, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more to this. And, and I think there's a key to understanding this. You've tried the possessions. You've tried the kids, the job, the vacations, the trips, uh, all the things, the new house, the new car, you've tried all those things and it's just not satisfying. And I think Solomon gives us a key. Uh, let's look back at verse 3. He says, what does man gain for all of his efforts that he labors at where? That he labors at where? Under the sun. Over and over again, you go back to chapter 2 and he's going to say that word, that phrase, under the sun. I tried everything. Where? Under the sun. It's okay, you can talk in church. I know I was gone two weeks, but it's all right. He tried everything where? Under the sun. He tried everything that this world has to offer, and he says, you know what? It just doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And and this morning, we're going to look at another text, and we're going to see a man whose life was the exact opposite of Solomon. Solomon was a guy who had everything. He had all the benefits. He tried everything. And, and this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul, whose life was exactly the opposite of Solomon. We know that the Apostle Paul, after he comes to know Christ, he, in his travels, he's, he's out sharing the gospel. And what does it get him? It gets him beat. It gets him thrown in prison. It gets him uh, th- uh, five times. He gets 39 lashes. 
39 lashes. 40 was considered a death penalty. Five times he gets 39 lashes. Uh, He gets shipwrecked. We read in the Bible that he was not just shipwrecked once, but he was shipwrecked twice. In fact, one time he spent a night and a day in the open seas. He's just out there floating like a cork. And then finally, he gets to land. He gets to dry land. He crawls up on dry land, starts to make a fire. What happens? He gets bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, this guy's life did not work out for him. Everywhere he went, it was beatings, and he was imprisoned. One place, he was stoned, right? He got stoned, and not like, like Colorado, Rocky Mountain High kind of stoned. Some of you are thinking, well, at least he got a little relief. No, it was like people throwing rocks at him, uh, and he's left for dead. And, and we see this, and then we're going to see what his response is. What is his response to life? And this is what he says. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. How many of you this morning would like to say, you know what, no matter how my boss comes in tomorrow, um, no matter what I get for Christmas this year, no matter how my kids respond, what I get them for Christmas, no matter who's mad at me, no matter what's going on in my life, the car breaks down, the the hot water heater, you know, floods the house, no matter what happens, I will never lose heart. I'll never lose heart. That's what he says. He says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Paul says, look, here's the deal. Um, No matter what happens in my life, I'm not going to lose heart because I am being renewed. There's something in my life that's bigger than I am. And he goes on, he says, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, let me just stop right there. Let me just say that there was nothing light or momentary about his troubles. There was nothing light or momentary. Everywhere this guy went, uh, he faced hardship. He faced hard times. But he says, our light and momentary troubles. But here's the thing. He understands that he has something in his life that completely outweighs all the stuff that he says. Um, I really believe that many people are out there trying to solve all their problems. They're trying to figure out, how can I solve my problems? How can I deal with this issue? How can I deal with this issue? And I think what Paul is saying here is, is, is stop trying to solve your problems and get something in your life that's bigger than your problems. And I truly believe that. I believe that if we want our problems to, to fade away, and I'm not saying they're all going to go away, but, but if we would really understand and put them in the right perspective, if we would fill our lives with something that is bigger than our problems. What is that something? Let's keep looking. He goes on, and he says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far what? That far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but is what is unseen is what? I'll say that like you mean it. What is unseen is eternal. Paul says, look, if, if we're going to have this, this mindset, this life that says, you know what, no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, uh, I am never going to lose heart, we've got to fix our eyes on what is eternal. We've already seen from Solomon that that the temporary doesn't work. All that stuff is going to fade away. All that stuff is going to lead us feeling weary. It's going to lead us feeling feeling just fatigued and tired. It's going to leave us feeling frustrated. Paul says, 
you know what, I, I found something that far outweighs all of those things, and that is the eternal. When I'm focused on the eternal, then all my problems seem so small. They're far outweighed. They're just light and momentary compared to what I know really matters. And what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about developing an eternal perspective. That's really what Paul's telling us here. He says, man, if I could ask one thing for you, it would be that you would develop an eternal perspective, that you would have a perspective on life that says, you know what, some of the stuff that happens in this life doesn't matter, but there are things that I can do in this life that will matter for all eternity. Paul says, those are the things that I need to focus on. Those are the things that I need to focus on. So how do we do that? How do we develop an eternal perspective? And this is where we're going to get practical. And we're going to look at a couple different passages. And, and I've, I've got some things that um, really, this passage that Paul, where he's telling us to develop the eternal perspective, this is something that was life-changing for me. Of, of all the things that I've learned over my years that God has revealed to me through Scripture, I would put this in the top three. Um, maybe number two under the fact that I'm saved by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. But this idea of the eternal perspective um, has really changed me personally, and I hope that it can do the same for you. So I just want to share with you some practical ways. How do we develop this eternal perspective? The first thing that I believe we need to do is pray. Pray. If you want to develop uh, an eternal perspective, I believe one of the first things you can do is pray. Prayer is one of the greatest ways that we develop this eternal perspective. Let's look at Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on what? Set your hearts on things where? Above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on what? Things above, not on earthly things. Now, when we talk about prayer and we say that prayer helps us develop a, an eternal perspective, what we have to understand is that, that when we pray, we have to pray in the way that Bible tells us to pray. Right? A lot of us, we come to the place of prayer and we just dump all of our earth stuff on God. We view it as a time to just tell God about all of our earth stuff and we're telling him about all of our problems. And when we look at scripture, that's not really what prayer is. Prayer is an opportunity for us to come before God and allow our heart, mind, and our attitude to be aligned with his concerning the things on earth. That we would begin to gain his perspective on what truly matters and what's really going on. And so we don't just come to God and... and Tell him all of our earth stuff as if he doesn't know what's already going on, right? He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He sees everything. So he doesn't need us to give him the download. What we do is we come before him and we lay it all at his feet and say, Lord, help me make sense of this. Help me to see what you would have me do about these things. Help me to have your perspective on these things and to figure out what, what is important and, and what is outweighed um, by your will. And I think we see this clearly with with David as we look at the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, how many times have you been reading through the Psalms and and the first line of the Psalm is, Oh Lord, smite my enemies, you know, fill them with maggots and send them like camels, like flies on a camel and just strike them down. You know, smite them, almighty smiter. And then by the end of the Psalm, he stops and he says, Oh, but Lord, may your perfect will be done. You are so good. You are holy and righteous. Um, may you have your way. Forgive them, Lord, right? And, and what happened? What happened? What happened with David? What happens is he comes to a place of prayer and he starts out with this really bad attitude. And then as he's praying, God begins to change him. He's laying these things at God's feet and he's beginning to see, you know what, Lord? You, you alone are worthy. You alone should be my focus, not this other stuff that's going on. Help me to focus on you. 
Help me to worship you. And his whole heart, mind, and attitude have changed and been brought in line with who God is and what God views as important. And I think worship does that for us too. Don't you agree? I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I come in here on a Sunday morning, um, and my world is so big, and yet God seems so small. But by the time I leave, God is so big, and my world seems so small. Um, I know a lot of us have been on vacation, but I just want to encourage you guys to make Sunday morning worship a priority um, because this is, this is one of those places where we get to gather together as a body, and we get to encourage one another and remind each other how big and how great our God is and how small our problems actually are. The second thing um, that I would say, in addition to praying, the second thing I would say is that, um, that we need to serve. We need to serve. If we want to develop an eternal perspective, we need to serve. One of the greatest ways that we can develop the eternal perspective is to be involved in something other than just paying the bills, paying the rent, paying the mortgage, and, and putting food on the table. And we need to be involved in something that's bigger uh, than, than we are. And let me just say this morning, if, if uh, you're in here and you served on the worship team, the setup team, the greeting team, would you just stand up? Or if you're on one of those teams normally, would you just stand up? Um, children's ministry volunteers, they're not in here. If you're on any team at any time whatsoever, just go ahead and stand up. Yeah, you guys are. Go ahead. Not, yeah. Give them a hand. Thank you, guys. Uh, when you see one of our volunteers that's serving in children's ministry today, as you go pick up your kids, please just tell them thank you. Um, tell them thank you. And, and let, me, let me tell you that, um, you know, I'm willing to bet that it's usually the Sundays when, when people are involved in serving that those Sundays probably mean more to them than the Sundays that they're sitting in here. Because they're getting to see life change happen on the front rows. They're getting to see and welcome the person who's had a horrible week, and, and they get to greet them with a smiling face and maybe pull them aside and, and offer some prayer or, or just a warm cup of coffee or a nice sugary donut. Uh, or they get to be with the kid who, who is struggling at school, and they get to help them walk through that. They get to celebrate the great things that, man, we just had a baby and we're so excited to be here. And, and I, I really do think that serving is one of those things that, that develops that eternal perspective in us. Look at what Jesus says in John six twenty seven. He says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to what? Eternal life. He says, man, you, you guys can't just be focused on what's right in front of you. You need to produce, you need to work for some food that's going to produce up to eternal life. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of those things that, that, let me just say this. I know a lot of times we, we talk about serving and, and we encourage you to be involved. And let me tell you what is not a good motivation for, for serving. And I know our staff members and elders might freak out when I say this. So just hang with me, all right? Um, don't serve at River Rock Bible Church because you think we need you. That's not a good motivation for serving. Uh, When we come to serve, what you need to understand is that the reason we encourage you to serve, the reason we make it such a big priority is because you need to be involved in something that is bigger than your life, that is going to produce food that will last for eternal life. And when you get the chance to share Jesus with one of the kids, and, and you're, like I said, maybe, maybe all you're doing is handing them a warm cup of coffee and a donut, and you have no idea how that's going to change someone's life. You have no idea how, how setting up curtains uh, in an elementary school cafeteria at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning 
uh, is going to impact someone because they come and they're not distracted by the murals that are on the wall, but they get to focus their attention on God. Uh, But let me tell you how important that is. And so maybe you are serving right now and you feel like you're serving out of obligation. I just want to encourage you to, to really think about how every little thing that happens here on Sunday morning is no small thing. Everything that we do, everything that we're about um, is designed to help people uh, come in and experience life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so no matter how big or how small your role is, you have a part in that. And I want to encourage you, if you're not serving somewhere, there are opportunities right now in the back. There's two that I can highlight right now. One is children's ministry, and one is set up in teardown. I mean, look around this room. Everything that you see that uh, is, is out right now, has to be brought out of a trailer and set up, and then at the end of the day, it has to be torn down and put back in a trailer. Um, There are kids right now who are probably hearing the gospel for the first time because someone is serving in there. And so I want to encourage you guys to be a part of that, not not out of obligation, but understanding that that there is something bigger. And, And let me share a story about one of our regular attenders here, a good friend of mine, recently moved away. He and his family were attending another church before they came to River Rock, and, and their, their church was uh, blessed to have a building where they would just go, you show up, you sit down, you enjoy the service, you go home. And they, that was their habit. And he, he shared with me that when they started coming to River Rock, before River Rock, they would go in and tell their kids, hey kids, it's time to get up and go to church. It's like, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, they got to go on, come on kids, it's time to go to church. Then they started coming to River Rock. And he started serving on the setup and teardown team. And then his wife started serving in children's ministry. And then after service, he would go grab his kids and they would start helping tear down. And, and pretty soon it got to where they would go and tell the kids, hey kids, it's time to go to church. And like, are we going to River Rock? Yeah, we're going to River Rock. Boom, they're out of bed and they're in the kitchen eating breakfast and they're ready to come. Why? Because they had something in their life that was bigger than they are. It changed their whole church experience by being a part of something that was bigger than they are. So I just want to encourage you again, get in, be a part of something that's larger than you are because I guarantee as you minister to other people, there's not a Sunday that that I walk out of here um, after having the opportunity to minister to people that I don't realize how small some of my own problems are. The thing that I thought was a big deal after I get the chance to pray for someone, I'm like, Lord, thank you so much that my problems are so small. Uh, and, And that comes through service. The third thing that I, I want to point us to is that we would give. That we would give. Now, when I talk about giving, uh, I'm not talking about the tithe. I believe that the tithe is, is God's, is what Scripture tells us, right? It already belongs to God, but what I'm talking about what we do with our stuff above and beyond the tithe. So how do we use our everyday stuff in everyday ways to bring glory to God? So uh, the pool, the house, the cars... Uh, everything that we have, how do we use those things to bring honor and glory to God? Listen to what um, the psalmist says in Psalm 119, excuse me, in Psalm 112. He says this, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and for the upright, he is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Good will come to the man who lends what? Who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. The righteous will be remembered forever. And I believe we also have verse 9 up there. He says, He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures for how long? Forever. His righteousness endures forever. And he's just reminding us, hey, all those things that you have, all those things that you do, uh, use them 
in ways that will endure forever. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth destroy and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying, look, what you do on this earth, the way you use your things, um, I like to think of it this way. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Amen? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we're just talking about how we use our everyday stuff. So I want to encourage you to think through, how can I leverage my everyday things to bring glory and honor to God? And it may be a neighbor that you get to help. It may be someone in the church that you get to help. But I believe God has, has blessed us um, with, with tremendous um, stuff in our lives, and he wants us to use all of it to honor him. If you remember back when we were going through Dave Ramsey, that was one of the big things that Dave really hit on is, man, everything that we have belongs to the Lord, and, and we've got to remember that and use it for his glory. And this is something we say all the time at River Rock. Anytime we talk about giving, we say this. Generosity whether it's giving or serving, generosity in those two areas is something God wants for you and not from you. You see the difference? He wants it for you. He wants you to experience what it's like to be a part of something greater than yourself. The last thing that I think will help us develop an eternal perspective is this, that we would share Christ. That we would share Christ. If we truly believe that heaven and hell are real, Um, then I believe that this is an area that we have got to step it up and do everything we can to share Christ with our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. If we truly believe that heaven and hell are real, then we've got to do everything we can to ensure that they hear and have the opportunity to respond and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Um, To not do that is, is to really make light of eternity to make light of eternity. And I do believe that, um, that we, when we do share Christ, it, it puts our lives in a different perspective. Think about the Apostle Paul. His whole life after coming to Christ, he spent traveling around the ancient Near East and he was sharing Christ everywhere he went, seeing churches planted out of that. He had a front row seat to seeing what God was doing in people's lives to seeing people's lives change completely, coming out of paganism that was widely practiced in this day and then seeing them become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in in 1 Thessalonians. He says this in verse 1, or chapter 2, verse 20. He goes on and he says, "Um, You are our glory and our joy. You're our glory and our joy. He's talking to people, writing a letter to people that he had, He had seen them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, all the stuff that we're going through, the beatings and the imprisonment, the lashings, it's worth it. You are our glory and our joy. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, um, excuse me, uh, verse 9, he says this, For as we live, if you stand firm in the Lord, how can we thank God for you in return for all the what? All the joy we experience before God because of you. Now, I know some of you, we get a little bit intimidated when we talk about sharing our faith, when we talk about sharing Christ, and, and some of us, we can, uh, uh, we can let that intimidation overwhelm us, and, and we forget to do it, or, or we decide we're not going to do it. But let me just tell you, there is nothing like the feeling of, of being with one of your friends uh, when they say, you know what, 
I finally understand, and I, I want to put my trust in Christ. And it, it may not be that, that you're the one to share Christ with them. They may come to your community group and something connects with them, and they say, you know what, I, I want to put my trust in Christ, and, and you get to watch them do that. Or they show up on a Sunday morning. You bring them on a Sunday morning, and they hear the message, and they hear uh, about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and they don't have to earn it, and something in them finally clicks, and they understand, and they check that box that I'm interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you get to be here with them on that Sunday. Let me tell you, when that happens... Everything in your life will seem so small, and you will experience such great joy knowing that you had a front row seat to seeing God change that person's life, and you got to be a part uh, of bringing them into relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a quick story about myself. Um, Do you know pastors have bad days? Anybody know that? We're allowed, um, one per year, and uh, this past year I had mine, and uh, it was just one of those days, it was a Monday, and uh, usually Mondays are hard because I go back and I listen to Sunday's message, message and I'm like John maddening my message. And I'm like, now, now if you're going to uh, win this game, you've got to score more points than the other guy. And, and so I'm like X's and O's all over my sermon. Like, man, that was terrible. That was terrible. And for whatever reason, I felt like the previous day had been a real stinker. Uh, and so I'm just mad. Like if I had a cat, I would have kicked it, um, which is why we don't have a cat. And, and I'm just... Everything that's going on, I'm getting emails from people that I'm like, oh, great, here we go again, you know, and, and it's just one of those frustrating bad days. Anybody have one of those? All right, can I, can I, am I allowed to have one of those? Did I admit something I'm not supposed to? Okay, so I had a bad day. Well, one of the things I do on Monday and sometimes Tuesday is I follow up with the connection cards and people who check boxes and try to help them get connected to the church, and I came across one where someone had said, I'm interested in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'd already had a conversation with this person earlier and talked to them, and, and they checked the box before, and I was like, man, I'm, uh, here they go again, you know, checking the box, and, and nothing's going to come of this. And so I called, and I said, you know, hey, I just saw you, you checked the box, and um, just wanted to see if I could answer any questions. And they said, well, I just think I'm ready to put my trust in Jesus. Let me tell you, in that moment, everything that was bothering me went away. Everything that I thought was wrong in my life disappeared as I got to be there and just share from Scripture what it means to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the person on the other end ended up putting their trust in Jesus Christ. That moment. uh, And I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Just thinking about someone's eternal destination has forever been changed. And God let me have a front seat. He even let me participate in that in seeing that person come to faith. And I tell you what, man, whenever you have a chance to participate in that, whether, whether you're the one who gets to walk with them across that line of faith or not, everything in your life is going to seem so small, and, and eternity is going to seem so big. So I want to encourage us this next year. Let's develop an eternal perspective. Let's commit ourselves to praying. Let's commit ourselves to, to sharing, to serving, to giving, and to sharing Christ. Amen? This morning as we begin to take two, take two is a time for us to just take a couple minutes and think about what is God saying to me this morning? Uh, And then right below that in your bulletin is a place for you to write down what you're going to do about it. Because of what God said this morning, I will. And you may be here this morning and really relate to Solomon and say, you know what, I can relate to that. I know exactly what it's like to be frustrated, tired, uh, and, 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 and just hating life. And then you may be here and say, I want to be able to say what Paul said, that I do not lose heart, that no matter what happens, I do not lose heart, and I I want to develop that eternal perspective. 
And I want to encourage you to write down whatever it is you think God is telling you to do to develop that eternal perspective. Maybe you're here this morning and he's already put someone's name on your heart. You said, you know what, I need to be much more intentional about sharing Christ with them. Maybe he's shown you something you need to do to serve or or a place to give uh, or just a a new way that you need to be praying. Whatever that is, write that down and then write how you're going to carry that out this week as we take two.